välkommen. Du lyssnar på en inspelning från internationell författarscen på Kulturhuset Stadsteatern med Jane Fonda i samtal med Stina Dabrowski. Mitt namn är Ingemar Fast. Jag är litteratur- och bibliotekschef i detta stora allkonsthus vid Särgelstorg i Stockholm. Låt samtalet ta sin början. That's a, such a good song. I'm going to see Dolly in a week. Oh, are yeah. you? The DVD of 9 to 5 is coming out and Dolly, Lily and I are going to have a launching party in Los Angeles. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I met yeah. her too. Yeah. She, she, she wanted to tell me where she bought her breasts. <laughs> <laughs> I think God gave her those. I think so. Part of them anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, she's a great woman. Yeah. Really. She's, she's terrific. wonderful. Mm-hmm. And the film, that it was your idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You were the producer. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't and, know that. And the I idea to have Dolly and Lily in the movie yeah. was my idea. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> the last time you were in Stockholm, you were outside of this house or close to here, holding a speech and uh, somebody threw red paint on you. Mm-hmm. I think it was an American agent. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Nobody in Sweden would do such a thing. No, of course not. Uh, What is the major difference between that woman, it was actually half your life ago, what's the biggest difference between that young woman and the woman you are today? Oh, well, I, I, I am a complete full woman now. I was not then. I was part, partly who I am. I was brave. I was successful, I was a lot of good things, but I wasn't yet a fully embodied feminist. Mm -hmm. And why not? Oh, goodness. (laughs) That's a small, (laughs) nice little question. Why not? Well, when when a girl grows up feeling that she isn't good enough, and um, that in order to be loved, she has to be perfect, And she so much wants the love of her father. It's kind of like in the movie Golden Pond, you know, yes, like I that saw character it that I played. She wants her father to love her, but she never feels that she's good enough. And he helps her feel she's not good enough. Well, she grows up, and then it's repeated with men. It's repeated with husbands. And you, you. The, the way I describe it in my book, it, it feels like being disembodied. You know, somewhere along adolescence, girls like this move out of themselves and take up re- residence next door. And they can be very successful professionally and politically in all kinds of ways, but when they enter the door of their personal relationship, behind the closed doors, they've left half of themselves outside because they feel that if they brought all of themselves in, the man wouldn't like them anymore. Mm-hmm. And if the man isn't liking them, then they won't exist. So I was that way for a long time. Mm-hmm. That was a very good explanation, but it's a long story, and it started when you were a small little girl. I mean, from the outside, it looked as if you had the most perfect childhood. I mean, a successful father, a beautiful mother, you had riches, 
You had a wonderful house, you had everything. It just shows you how much the outside doesn't really matter. No. Well, it does, yes. Mm -hmm. Hey, it helps to have money. Mm -hmm. Because when you grow up, then you can afford a therapist to put yourself back together again. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened behind those doors? Why, why did you get so much problems? Well, I, for the reasons that I said. What happened uh, behind the doors? Yes, I mean, how, what was your relation to your mother? Oh, those doors. Okay, mm -hmm. good. All right. Mm -hmm. um, the first doors. The first doors. <laughs> well, my mother suffered from manic depression. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so she really couldn't be there, you know, the way a mother should be there. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then my father just didn't know how to express love. So behind the doors, it was a rather cold rather um, repressed family. How many people in here know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's very common. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I, I remember one, one passage in the book when you, you describe when you had your little baby brother, Peter Fonda. Oh, yeah. What, what, how, how was that? Getting it was horrible. <laughs> Why? I'm just kidding. I love my brother. But he was born two years after me, and my father went to his birth in New York. My mother always went to New York to have the children, and my father came back with movies, home movies. And the home movie, he sat me down. I remember we were sitting in the living room, and he showed these, the movie. And the movie showed my mother holding my baby brother. And... My grandmother later wrote me a letter and said that I sat there and tears poured down my face. And all I remember is feeling, this is it. I'm not, he's taken my place. There's no way. My mother never held me, and she seemed so happy to. And I, I think that was when I kind of, part of me just disappeared into some hole right there. Mm -hmm. Did you not have any ad adult person who could... Uh, see you and help you? Later I did. I, had, I always was lucky. My girlfriends had mothers that were very loving. And so, you know, when my mother was away, sometimes my girlfriend's mothers, like I was a pretty bad kid. I used to say bad things to boys. I thought if you liked a boy, the best thing to do was kick him in the balls and say something <laughs> bad to him. That was my idea of flirting. So my, um, my girlfriend's mother, I remember one of them, she took me on her lap and she scolded me and told me how to behave. And I remember that very well, because it didn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. Becoming a woman growing up was very, very hard for you. You said your vagina was a pain in the ass. Yes, and do you know something? A reviewer in America thought that I'd written that by accident. You know, without really realizing, duh. I thought it was pretty funny myself. No, if you, if you, if you have a... If you don't want to be a woman because your idea of being a woman is someone who's destroyed and a victim and, um, and you don't have a mother because she's dead by then, then, then vaginas become a problem because there's nobody that can tell you what it is you're supposed to see when you look down there. That's why I love the vagina monologues because it actually says the word. You're not supposed to say the word, at least, well, in Sweden, of course. 
Everybody admits that women have vaginas and women own their vaginas and it's fine, but in the United States, you're not supposed to have one. Or if you do, you're not supposed to talk about it. So, it, you know, and when you're trying to, when you're little and you're trying to, to see whether you really are a female or not, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> when I was maybe 12 or 11, this very famous um, man became a woman, Christine Jorgensen. You're all too young mm -hmm. to remember this, but it was a, a, a Danish man who became a woman, and it was very, you remember? It was a big lot of publicity, and I became convinced that I was like him, her, that I was supposed to be a man, and I spent a lot of time trying to find out. Why, why did you think you were supposed to be a man? Well, I guess because that's, my mother wanted a man, because I did, nothing seemed to work right. Mm -hmm. I mean, so you want what, me to go into details? Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing was normal. Mm -hmm. Nothing was normal. When everybody else got their period, you know, menstruation, I didn't. Not for mm -hmm. years and years and years and years. And I think I discovered later, uh, psychiatrists say that women who don't want to become women can actually cause their body to not go into puberty. But you finally did. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Belated, like everything else, belated, yeah. When I first found out I was pregnant, I was so scared. It was incontrovertible proof that I was a woman, and I was really scared. But then once I began to really f become big, I loved it. I just lo I loved being pregnant. Mm -hmm. But now you're jumping ahead of time a lot, I oh, think. Oh, you're going to go chronologically. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Yes, I, I, there's another very good story in the book uh, about an Italian duke which I think is very interesting, because I think to everybody in here, you're this strong, independent woman who would never do anything that you didn't want to do. But when you were young and you met... If it comes to a man, I would do anything he wanted. <laughs> and I was very lonely, and I was 16 or something like that, and this man who was a great dancer and who I didn't particularly like but he asked me to spend a weekend with him, and, um, and he asked to take nude pictures of me, and I didn't know how to say no. I just didn't think I could say no. Isn't that awful? That's awful, but that's very common among women. Well, I know. That's why I wrote about it. Mm. Yeah. I know. I know. It was... So how were these pictures? Well, they were not, so, they were not like porno pornography. They were quite demure, actually, but still, I was naked, and my father found out. Mm -hmm. He brought me home from Paris very fast, believe mm -hmm. me. But then you went back again. And I you, went back again, yes. And you met this Roger Vadim, mm -hmm. the, the man who first married Brigitte Bardot and then Catherine Deneuve, and then he was with Annette, Annette Stroyberg and some other women too, I think. A lot of very beautiful what, women. What yeah. I'm so curious about this man, what did he have that was so irresistible? <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> and besides that, he had a lot of charm. <laughs> he was so charming. Even men, not just women, but men also found, found him so charming. Part of it was that he was half Russian. There was that Slavic quality about him that was just 
That's very sexy. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the eyes. His name was Roger Vadim Plemyanikov, and I was Madame Plemyanikov. I bet you didn't know that. I My passport that. said Jane Fonda Plemyanikov, and Plemyanikov is a name descended from Genghis Khan. Oh, so that I didn't know. the Vadim's family line went back to Genghis Khan, mm -hmm. and the eyes were all very Mongol. And my daughter's eyes are that way, and my grandson's mm -hmm. eyes are that way. Yeah, no, he was a, he was very charming. Mm -hmm. And he made you into this absolute sex symbol, Barbarella. And uh, at the same time, or not at the same time, but very soon afterwards, you became this most serious anti-war activist being this sex symbol and this anti-war activist, how can you be that, the two? You know, it's interesting that you ask me that because um, this question, the introduction talked about Lillian Hellman and her book, Pe Pentimento, mm -hmm. and how Pentimento is when a, 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 a painter has changed her mind and what was before be, sort of shows through a little. Well, I did Barbarella, I was pregnant for part of the time that I was making Barbarella. And any woman who's been pregnant knows that you're like, you're like a sponge. You're open to learn and receive new things and new, new information. And what was happening deep inside me while I was going through the motions of being Barbarella is that there was a new consciousness beginning to bloom in me. And when we finished Barbarella, I was pregnant in Paris, and it was kind of like it is right now in Paris. It was 1968, and the students were rioting in the streets with workers, a coalition between students and workers. It was called Les Événements de May, the events of May, 1968, and it almost caused the de Gaulle government to, to collapse. Plus, there was the Tet Offensive. Now, as an American living in Paris, looking at, on French television and seeing the news reports of the Tet Offensive was life-altering. You were confronted by something very deep. Who am I as an American coming from this great military power and we're being defeated by a country of fishermen and rice farmers? What does this mean? So. The answer to that question mm -hmm. took me a, a while to, to get to, but that was all brewing before even Barbarella opened in the theaters. In fact, by the time Barbarella opened in the theaters, I was already standing on soapboxes, mm -hmm. you know, against the war, and people were like, wait a minute, I don't get it. <laughs> no, that's very, very unusual. I mean, I, I, I have great difficulties imagining the today's Barbarellas, you know, being anti-war <laughs> activists, you know, protesting against the war in Iraq. I, I mean, Paris Hilton and the likes. Yeah, but don't forget Barbarella. Barbarella, she ran her own spaceship. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true. Barbarella, she was sent by the president yeah. to a planet to defeat evil. Mm. You know, yeah. it could have been a feminist movie. I wish, the only reason that I would like to go back to my youth is I'd like to do it again. Mm -hmm. And how would you change it? Well, I'll tell you how, because I've thought a lot about mm -hmm. this. Okay. 
She came, Barbarella came from a planet that had been so at peace for so long, they didn't know what the word war meant. Huh? It was clearly a very evolved planet that she came from. She is sent to conquer evil on this planet with this bad queen and this bad scientist. Who... And the first person she meets is this Hugo Tognazzi, this wonderful Italian actor dressed like a gorilla. And he, he wants to make love to her. Now, in the story, the planet that I come from, the way you make love is you take a pill and then you touch fingertips and then your hair stands on end and then it's over. I think the, the way Barbarella would have conquered evil is quite different. She would have come to a planet where you took a pill and touched fingertips and probably never even looked at each other as a way of making love. And what she would have brought with her is intimacy. She is the one that would have shown the people on this planet who had lost their hearts what love was really like. That's what would have been different. But the Barbarella at the time didn't know what intimacy was. Well, I certainly didn't. And Barbarella, I mean, the idea of taking a pill and touching fingertips, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. But I mean, in, in today's world, there is a lot of, of superficiality. And a, a lot of young women like Paris Hilton and the likes living off their, their, their looks and, and with their clothes and I don't know what, whatever they do. Uh, uh, I mean, there are not so many plain Janes today. Do you think that they are going to change with age? Well, I don't know Paris Hilton, and we don't know what was done to her as a young girl, you know? We, we don't know what lies behind that surface. We don't know what full human being may be lurking under the surface. I mean, when I look back on my own life, what I learned was never underestimate what lies between a bleach blonde with long eyelashes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you never know. Mm -hmm. You know, if you'd look, well, if you looked at me back then, you never would have thought that I had any depth. I didn't know I had any depth. <laughs> I think we all found out pretty soon. It came slow. Mm. Mm -hmm. But you say that part of the reasons why you had so much trouble was because your father didn't confirm you, he didn't uh, accept you, love you, show you mm -hmm. his love. The, the funny thing is that I've interviewed quite a few very successful women mm -hmm. with the same experience, oh, like so Madonna, good. like Bette Miller, like many. Madonna? Yes. Her father <laughs> really didn't like what she was doing. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> But okay. the, the bad thing is, I mean, are these terrible fathers good for, I mean, they're creating a lot of successful women. But imagine, imagine if our fathers had been warmer. They weren't terrible fathers. They probably did the best they could. But if they had been different, maybe Madonna and me, and who was the other one? Bette Midler. And Bette Midler. And many more. And many more. Maybe we, maybe we wouldn't 
God, maybe we wouldn't have to spend so much time getting well. Maybe when we were young already, we could have taken over the world. Who knows what we would have been able to do if we hadn't been so screwed up so young. <laughs> My father didn't know that he was being bad. He didn't know any other way to be. It's just that I wanted him so bad to love me, and so I learned early on to be what the man wanted me to be and to assume I wasn't enough. And it got me in a lot of trouble, I can tell you. Like what? Well, <laughs> I, write, I write in the book about Vadim and, you know, my, the threesomes. Is that what you call it in Swedish? <laughs> when a man wants other women in the bed, you know, and I didn't think I could say no because, because, because I didn't think I was good enough. And, um, you know, it, it, I could have not put that in the book. I could have just said I didn't have confidence and so I would betray my heart and I would betray my body in my relationships in order to please my husband. And I could have left it at that. But I decided that I would tell what I really meant because it's quite dramatic. <laughs> For me, Jane Fonda, I was already famous. I was already a movie star. I was financially independent. I could have walked away. I didn't depend on him financially. And I still didn't dare say no, because I really thought I wasn't good enough. And women are so used to lying with their bodies, so many of us. It's something we don't even know we're doing it. We, we lie with our bodies. And if you have drink, if you drink, I drank. So I didn't even know. People said, well, did you like it? I don't know. I don't know. I was in some altered state. And I thought I did. I was, you know, I'm an actress. I became friends with the women afterwards because it was a way to humanize the situation and reduce the objectification. And some remain my friends to this day. But it's very hard. I, I, I have great difficulties watching you being in, in, in the relation, maybe with Vadim, because you were very young, but, but then with, with the, your next husband, Tom Hayden, uh, and, and uh, like uh, obeying him or changing your point of view to, to fit Well, I it. didn't with him. No, I, I, I was already an activist when I married Tom. Yeah. But in fact, what, what Tom, because I was new, right? I was very new to activism. Tom, you know, he wrote the Port Huron Statement. He was one of the founders of SDS, you know, before it became violent. He had tremendous depth of experience and a strategic mind. And, and he was, it was a tremendous help for me to be with someone like that. And mm -hmm. I really admired him and we're very close friends now. So I didn't quite betray myself the way I did with, with, with Vadim. Mm -hmm. So, 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 because I mean, when I see you in in in, in a relation, I, I see quite a, a, a not a naughty woman, but I mean a woman who 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 does what she wants. Well, I do in 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 public, you know, but not at home. Also, you know, there's this other thing about. Um, I know many of you are going to relate to this. If you grow up in a household where there is no intimacy, where nobody is really showing up, where, you know, especially if there's alcoholism or drugs or mental illness or depression or something like that, no one talks about it. 
So the child is like, something is really wrong, but I must be wrong because I can't trust what I'm feeling because nobody's talking about it. And so you just kind of shut down and you, so you don't learn to really trust your feelings and show up emotionally for people. So now you're older, you know, now you're coming to where you're dating, you know, or getting married. If somebody comes across your path who is not damaged that way, who knows what intimacy is, who knows how to show up, do you know what you'll do? You'll run the other way. So scary. So scary. You don't want to be with somebody who is asking you to show up. That's been my experience, and it's been the experience of many people, men and women, that I know. And what you have to do in life is you have to work very, very hard to understand that the things that kept you from knowing intimacy, the things that got in your way from feeling that you deserved intimacy had nothing to do with you. That's why it's so important to understand who your parents were. It was their issues and whatever happened to them when they were young. And you have to try to explore that like archaeologists and find out who are your parents? Who were your parents? Who were their parents? Why were they the way they were? And then you can discover that's right. It has nothing to do with you. You know what I mean? And then you begin to heal. And forgiveness is one of the parts of healing. But I didn't, for, I didn't heal until almost the end of my third marriage. And that's why I, I wrote the book, because I thought, you know, I think it's an interesting story to tell of a woman who never depended on a man, but who took 62 years mm -hmm. to become embodied. Mm -hmm. Why does that happen, and how do you get well? Mm -hmm. I, I saw the movie On Golden Pond yesterday. Yeah. Where, where you act with your, with your father and Catherine mm -hmm. Hepburn. Mm -hmm. And I think you were like 40-something when you made that movie. Something, yeah. And I mean, your body, I mean, you look as a 20-year-old. As and I was thinking that you still had bulimia when you were doing this? No. no. You didn't? No, wait. No. You, had, you, you were yeah. just working it, out that was That was right before I started the workout. Mm -hmm. And I was no longer... I was no longer engaged in a food addiction, mm -hmm. no. But I did work out a lot. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, today, a lot of young girls suffer from eating disorders. Or Here in, in Scandinavia? In Scandinavia, really? Too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, who, who could have helped you, or what could have helped you when you were addicted to... to what, what, um, what I should have done, first of all, you have to help the person usually girls, not always, but usually girls, you have to help them understand that they are, mis they are mistaking physical hunger for spiritual hunger. This is true of all addictions, no matter what it is, including mm -hmm. shopping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that feeling, it's so pervasive now. Oh God, if only I had that purse, mm -hmm. then I'd be perfect. You seem to know quite a lot about that I do, kind of addiction. I do, I do. Listen, I used to live in Hollywood, yeah. don't believe me. Um, mistake physical hunger for spiritual hunger. So what I should have done and what I would do if my daughter was uh, anorexic bulimic, which she is not, thank God, 
I would get her into a 12-step program. 12 Steps originated with Alcoholics Anonymous. Did you do it? Uh, yes, I go to AA meetings. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, I remember, because I've been, like most of us, surrounded by alcoholism all my life and in many different levels of my life. And um, when I first heard, it was from the actor Jason Robards who told me about AA. And, um, and, and he told me about the higher power. And I thought, Mm -mm. <laughs> Forget about it. You know, higher power. That sounds so new age. I didn't get it at all. When was this? Oh, that was oh long time ago. Mm -hmm. When I was making mm -hmm. comes comes a horseman. Okay. But as I began to heal, and I did not go to a twelve step program then. I began to realize that what was happening to me was the empty place that was filled with addiction was becoming filled with a higher power. I could feel it happening to me. And I realized AA is right. And then you went. And then a year or two later, I stopped drinking, and then, mm -hmm. I, then I started uh, go going to AA, yeah. But what helped you to heal? Well, I have therapy. I could afford a therapist. Mm -hmm. That was helpful. I didn't go all the time, but every time I went, was in California, I would see this wonderful woman who helped me understand the things that I just said about mm. understanding your parents and mm. understanding it doesn't have anything to do with you and mm. forgiving your parents, those mm. kinds of things. Mm. And little by little, I began to get stronger. And I will have to say that my third husband, Ted Turner, helped me get stronger. I think he regrets it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but he did, and you know why women will understand this? He needed me. I had never been in love with a man who allowed me to see that he needed me. It was like men were too frightened. And Ted Turner needed me. And that made me feel that I was okay. I have to quote you now, because you said sometime, Ted needs someone to be there 100% of the time. He thinks that's love. That's not love. It's babysitting. Right. <laughs> well, see, in the beginning, I didn't understand he needs me. Well, it could be anybody, <laughs> as long as there's somebody there. But it did matter to him that I was who I am. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a smart man, and he knew that I, you know, that I was good for him, and mm. good for his family, and good for his children, and... Um, and apparently he was good for you, too. He was, yeah, he was, it, and he, we're very close friends. He seems to be, to, be, to be kind of a force of nature. Yeah. I mean, this kind of a man who, like a exhausting. hurricane. It's exhausting. Exhausting. <laughs> Tell me about him. Well, you know, he... he, he I could write a whole book just about him, but his children doesn't, don't want me to. <laughs> but you know, when, I, when my third marriage ended, I decided that I really had to find out why my marriages ended, because I knew there was something similar with all of them. And there was something similar with my father and all my husbands. Even though I thought I was for sure marrying someone totally different than my father, it turned out that they all had this thing in common. They didn't know what intimacy was. They weren't capable of intimacy. So I started studying 
reading psychologists and things to find out what it is about men that causes this thing to happen. And um, where was I? I forgot what I was going to say. You, 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 you were oh, going yeah. to tell the story about yeah. Ted. What was I going to say about Ted? <laughs> you were, you were going to explain why, why he couldn't feel intimacy. Oh. No? What, what was I going <laughs> to... What was it that I was going to say? I don't remember. Huh? Why he was good for me. I think I already did that. I already said why he was good for me, because he, he made me feel good. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll tell you why. Thank you. Here's why. Well, they, what they all had in common was they didn't know how to be intimate. You know, like me, they were addicts, only I got well and they didn't. <laughs> Ted said to me, when we split up and I was 62, he said, you're not supposed to change after 60. <laughs> and I said, I think it's dangerous not to, but he liked me better before, but at any rate. As I've said on many interviews, and I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not repeating myself, and I don't remember if I said it with you, Stina, in that wonderful interview, you, you, she's so great. Thank um, you. Boys. <laughs> boys, girls lose their voice at adolescence. Boys lose their hearts at five years old when they first enter schooling. And if at that age there is a major trauma, a terrible thing happens, it's very hard for them to heal. And Ted, when he was five years old, very sensitive boy, his first word was pretty. He wrote poetry and drew pictures and picked flowers and his father tried to beat it out of him beat him, beat him from the time he was a little child. And when Ted was five, his father put him in a military boarding school and left and went to war with the mother and the daughter, Ted's sister. And Ted never recovered. Mm -hmm. But that is very common among rich people. It doesn't stop to amaze <laughs> me that rich people have all the opportunities in the world. They do so many stupid things, like they send their small kids to boarding school, like they buy so many properties, so they have to move all the time and never have Well, that's time the moving rest. all the time. Someone wanted to know the root of the moving all the time is the demons. The demons. Mm. If you stop the demons will catch up with you. And much as he likes, he keeps buying more properties so that he can keep moving, always on places he owns, but moving all the time. And when I reach 60 years old, I realized that we were living laterally and I wanted to live vertically. If you're lucky, when you begin to get old, you yearn for the metaphysical. You learn, yearn to go deeper in life, deeper in your relationships. You can become closer than you ever have been with your children, for example. 
And I want, and I now, by then I had a grandchild, I wanted to go deep and Ted didn't, couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so. Uh, now he says to me, no, I've changed, he says. I've changed. I spend four days now in each place. <laughs> <laughs> in his twi- 26 estates. 23. 23, sorry. I would go to the so, store so and I would buy two dozen pairs of underpants. <gasps> And the saleswoman would say, um, are these gifts? I mean, should I gift wrap them? I said, no they're, no, they're all for me. I spread them out over all the places because we, we were never supposed to bring suitcases. We always had to have everything we needed in all the places. I, it's weird to be rich. I've never yeah, been with a rich person before. It's very strange. <laughs> but there's something else uh, 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 that I was thinking about is that you, you hid yourself all your life, you, you, you tried to be someone else, someone beautiful, someone perfect. Inside the bedroom. Inside the bedroom. Inside uh-huh. the personal the relationship. Not, not in public. No, 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 no. It was very brave. We know, no, we know. I would we lose my courage when I walked through the door. Mm-hmm. But then when you reach uh, your 60s mm-hmm. and you finally have the courage to be yourself, mm-hmm. The thing that you have feared all your life happens. Yeah, but I didn't fear it anymore. You mean that I'm alone without a man? Yes. Yeah, it was really scary. I remember the moment. Tell us, please. See, I know you've, if you've read interviews with me, you've heard this before, but I'll do it real quick. When I was approaching 60, I realized it was going to be the last act, and it wasn't a dress rehearsal, and I had to, I had to prepare for it. And that's when I spent a year researching myself, which is a very interesting thing to do, as though you're somebody else. And by the time I hit 60, I knew that what I lacked was intimacy. And, oh, I, I tell this story in the book. I, I, and what I wanted to do was put all the research into a little film, a little 25-minute video of my life to show at my birthday party. And I asked my daughter, Vanessa, who's a filmmaker, I said, would you help me? And she said, well, why don't you just get a chameleon and let it crawl across the screen? <laughs> See, and, <laughs> and that's the rap mm-hmm. that I had to figure out. Is mm-hmm. that true? Is there a there there? Or am I simply the figment of all the husbands? And... But so the when moment... I reached 60, I realized, no. Mm-hmm. I, I know who I am. Mm-hmm. But the moment when you realized this is who I am. This is who I want to be. Well, then it took and me two more. No, away. but then I t- it took two more years. Yes, of course. But I mean, the the final moment. Yeah. Well, the what happened was it was split. I asked. I, I took two years to get the courage to say, "This is what I want in our marriage. These are the things that have to change." And before my eyes, I saw him decompose. <laughs> what happened? He banged his head against the wall. Mm-hmm. He fragmented psychically. He was hijacked by his emotions. He just freaked. And I remember standing there watching this and thinking, I have a choice. I have a choice. There was one voice here saying, Jane, come on, chill out. He's charming, and he's fun, and he's wealthy. You never have to work. Everything's, you know, just let it go. Just say to him, "Mm, it's okay, honey. I didn't really mean it. And on the other was the voice saying, Jane, 
You have promised yourself that this is your last act and that you're going to live it as a whole person without regrets. And I knew that that was it, that I was not going to go back. But it was like stepping off a cliff for me. Scary, very scary, uncharted territory. But I knew that I couldn't go back, and it was really hard. But um, and I mean, I'm so happy that I did it. I'm so happy that I didn't capitulate out of fear. But I mean, Ted Turner must be one of the few men in the world who, who is not afraid of you, who doesn't feel inferior to you. Right. And I mean, there were That's many... why I thought it would work. Yeah. And, and many men called me after the interview here in television saying mm -hmm. they fell in love with you. Oh, yeah. And I wonder, all these men who fell in love with you, do they have courage to tell you? Well, I don't they haven't yet. Actually, I did get a proposition today while I was signing books at the NK. <laughs> uh-huh. And? <laughs> and? Well, I just, I pretended I didn't hear. <laughs> but, but, it, but it must be very, very hard for you to find the fact. It is. Mm -hmm. It is. It's hard. Mm -hmm. It's complicated mm -hmm. because, because I'm very happy. <laughs> and it's hard for men to take on a woman who is very full and whole and happy and, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, I, but, as I think I said to you, I hope that I fall in love again. Because otherwise, I'll never really know whether I've changed in relationship to men. Well, I can't you, know that living with my dog. No. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, all the experience that I have say that you keep repeating mistakes. I always have, but I think yeah. this time it would be different, but I don't know. Uh, We'll see. You're welcome back to tell us after, right. after you met a man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, feminists have achieved a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think a hundred years back, we have uh, many rights that we didn't have at that time. But at the same time, the demand on women uh, when it comes to their looks, they have to be beautiful, they have to be perfect, they have to be sexy are much worse, worse than ever. How does this cooperate? I mean... Well, it's still part of the feminist revolution that has to be dealt with. And it won't be dealt with as long as we live in a patriarchal consumer society where people are, sp men and women, are supposed to fit into norms. Women are supposed to be like this, and men are supposed to be manly and competitive and aggressive and not too sensitive and not too emotional and not too close to their mothers. And, you know, if Jesus Christ came back now, what do you think people would say? <laughs> Those robes. <laughs> that hair. Those disciples. <laughs> we... <laughs> We have to help men redefine masculinity so that it's not this toxic deal that they have to make where they sell their souls in order to join the club. But how do you do that, Jane? How do you do that? Well, mm -hmm. it's partly it has to thank you. It has to be with how we raise our sons. Mm -hmm. So how did you raise your son? You always say your son is perfect. I think so. Mine are not. No? <laughs> no. 
I mean, they're wonderful, but I wouldn't say they're perfect. My son just has this huge soul, and he's very much, he's an actor, and he's very in touch with, with his emotions, and we're very close. The issue now is my grandson, who is six, at that very fragile age that I talked about. And this is a little boy who earlier, like when he was three and four, and we would go to bed together, and I would roll over to go to sleep, and he'd say, no, no, Gamma, no, no, no. And he would make me turn over again, and he would look at me in the eyes for a long, long time, and then he'd say, okay, now you can turn over. <laughs> and he was so unafraid of expressing love. And little by little, as he started school, I can see that there's a part of him that's trying to shut down. He has a hard time, I say, how do you feel? He has a hard time saying how he feels. Um, he has a hard time putting words to emotions. And, and I know what that is. So I, as the grandmother and his mother, have to spend a lot of time letting him know that it's all right to feel and to know that you're feeling and to know what the emotions are. Sometimes I draw pictures of sad faces and happy faces and, and we talk about what, what, that, what that means. And we talk a lot about feelings. And... Um, because it, it's harder when they get older. I mean, it's hard for some men later on to, to, to change and to hook back up with their hearts, although a lot of men do. And very often it happens when they get to be older. And the testosterone, you know, drops. <laughs> and they've done what they need to do in terms of proving. And they can begin to go inside themselves. And we have to encourage that. And we have to be very um, understanding of our boys and, and what it is they're going through. It's very sad. And it's much harder, because it happens so early for boys, it's harder for them to change. Because for them, it's the way things are. Girls change later, so we can remember <laughs> before. But, but, I mean, you were very criti critical towards yourself uh, as a mother to your daughter. But what did you do that was so right with your son? Well, I, I, you know, I don't take credit for my son being so great. It's also his, he has a wonderful father. You know, Tom may not have been a great husband, but he was a fantastic um, father. And I was just that, I was five years older, five years more who I am. You know, my daughter was conceived while I was Barbarella. <laughs> the great thing about my daughter is that she's always been angry with me because she see, has seen me always giving away my power to men, and it makes her angry. She's a resistor. She's so great. And she's not angry anymore because she knows that I'm now who I am. I'm a full person, and she's very proud. You asked me before we went up on the stage, uh, you said that many people had come up to you and said that they cried when they saw the interview, right. and you asked me why, and I said it was because you cried when you were telling the story about your daughter. Yeah. What happened uh, between you uh, that made you finally come close when you were 68 and she 37? Well, there's an interesting thing. When a parent begins to heal, the children heal. You don't even have to say anything. It just happens when real healing takes place. 
when you come into being, healing takes place throughout the family. So that's one thing. Another thing is that she knows that I don't have to be with a man to be complete anymore. What's the name of your therapist? <laughs> I, I mention her in my book. <laughs> um, and, and then another thing speaks to what I said earlier. I have written a book that explains why I could not be a good mother to her. And just as I said, it's important for us to understand who our parents are or were and why they were the way they were. This book can show Vanessa who, who I was and what the problems were and that my inability to be there for her had nothing to do with her. And it's my way of apologizing and saying, please forgive me, I did the best I could. I'm more able now. And she understands it. But still, I mean, when you were young, you, you, you tried to be perfect and the disease to please and everything. Uh, but now, still today, to me, you seem to be absolutely perfect. You're gorgeous, you're beautiful, you're slim, you're everything a woman can dream to be at your age. And I mean, no one else is. I mean, when can you relax? When can you start to relax? That's nothing. That's very nice of you. I appreciate that. I have good genes. I'm not working out because I have a new hip and I can't work out yet. But, you know, I'm, I have wrinkles. And there's a lot of pressure to get rid of the wrinkles. And I have been saying publicly so that I can't go back, I will not take them away. <laughs> I'm not going to do it again. And um, good enough is good enough. Now, but, but, you know, but, but, if, I, if I had to get in bed with a new man tell at me. 68 years old, yes, tell me. I would want the lights out. <laughs> I would probably back out of the room in the dark, you know. So I say good enough is good enough, but still, <laughs> you know, at first it would be hard. <laughs> uh, it's not easy. No. Uh, <laughs> Um, I forgot what but I you know the problem is the last time I was here actually was not in 72 the last time I was here was 1989 I was promoting a film called Old Gringo and I had a, a boyfriend he was 17 years younger than me he was an Italian soccer player who was also an actor who had a non-speaking role in a soap opera <laughs> <laughs> he you know for a while he made me feel because I was really unhappy after the end of my second marriage and so this 17 year younger six foot five gorgeous Italian person with a lot of Vadim's attributes um, <laughs> <laughs> but then what do you say <laughs> You know, I mean, youth only goes so far, and then what do you talk about? Mm. But what, I mean, men very often marry that kind of girl. Well, it's because they don't talk. <laughs> Ted always liked younger girls. When I first started dating Ted, I thought, oh, my God, because he was always with women that are so much younger, and I thought, you know, what have I got that they don't have? And then I realized I know his music. 
<laughs> Gershwin, and the songs from the 50s <laughs> that they don't know, and I know all the words, and he knew the words too, so we would say, and I could borrow his glasses. <laughs> he misses me, he does. I'm, I'm sure he does, I'm sure he does. But uh, uh, finally, because we're going to end this now, because you have to sign a lot of books afterwards. I hope so. Um, are you good at, because it seems to me that you have to, you demand so much from yourself all the time. You have to perform all the time. Oh, you should see me on an average day. Yes. No, I'm, I'm performing now. I'm, you know, yeah. it's... Nine days ago, I girded my loins and I'm going out on this trip again to promote my book and you, you know, and then I go home. And usually I'm all by myself, kids are in school, and I read. And I read, and I read, I read and read and read. And I'm by myself, and it's quiet, me and my dog. You've been in my apartment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know my dog. That's what my life is normally and a like. wonderful dog. Yeah, I miss my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I got my little dog that I could travel with so I wouldn't miss my grandkids, and I'm going to the United Kingdom from here, so I couldn't bring my dog, so now I have my dog I miss and my grandkids. It's very sad. <laughs> but no, my life is mostly not performing. Uh -huh. So you don't have those high demands on yourself that you have to be this very professional person all the time because only when I'm be... working, I'm working okay. now. Okay. Yeah. So you're quite relaxed, otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to hear. That's that. That's what happiness is. Yeah. Is that you are relaxed? Mm. I don't get lonely. I don't get bored. Mm. I do whatever I want. I don't have any man telling me what to do. If I feel like taking a nap and sleeping sideways on the bed, fine. You can do that. <laughs> Such okay. a relief. Oh. <laughs> Are you married? So, well, I'm... <laughs> That's a difficult question with me. <laughs> Let's not go into that. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy. And so are you. Thank you very much, Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank